0: A number of places that I've been lately, um, people have spoken of the TED Talks. Have you heard of those yet? The TED Talks? Um, In Lubbock, where I went to speak a few weeks ago, um, they don't have a minister. And one of the things that they use to kick off discussion groups that they have on Sunday mornings are TED Talks. These can be used legally, publicly, and the, and the uh, agreement that you have to abide by is very uh, reasonable. It just says that you can't change the logo and, and stuff like that. Um, but TED is a nonprofit devoted to ideas worth spreading, and that's their words, ideas worth spreading. And it started out in 1984 at a conference bringing together people from three worlds. worlds—that was technology, entertainment, and design. But since then, it's grown into and, and a lot of other areas. Um, TED Talks are distributed under a Creative Commons license, which I had not heard of before. And apparently, it allows for a lot more flexibility, even though they retain all the rights. So maybe we can use some of them here. Um, But the other day, the vice president of All Souls Board of Directors mentioned to me that she had seen one of those TED Talks online that featured a woman whose work uh, I very much enjoy. The woman's name is Krista Tippett, and she hosts one of my favorite public radio shows. Um, once upon a time, it was called Speaking of Faith. And as she journeyed into the subject matter, she found that that title was not adequate to incorporate all the things and the paths on which that journey traveled. Now the show is called On Being. And Krista Tippett uh, was featured in this particular TED Talk. It's the, this TED Talk is about a year old, and it was on the occasion of the one-year anniversary of Karen Armstrong's Charter of Compassion. And the talk was held at the United Nations Um, Ms. Tippett spoke of some obver- observations she had about the word compassion. Uh, are, are you familiar with the Charter of Compassion? It's um, an agreement that countries can sign on to, and p- individuals and corporations can sign on to, I think, I'm actually not sure about individuals. Um, but to promise to be devoted to the ways of compassion in relations. Um, I'll get back with you. <laughs> more of that. I have known more, but not right this minute. Um, anyway, Ms. Tippett said... That most of the time, the word compassion these days, for a lot of people, calls up this kind of squishy idea, sappy notions, or either things that are too idealistic for us to actually achieve. Either it has no it has no traction in a reasonable world, um, or it only belongs to the realm of those who we can't hope to be. And so what she wanted to do was what she called a linguistic resurrection to reclaim the word. And she asserted that compassion is a piece of vocabulary that could change us if we truly link it, let it sink in to the standards by which we hold ourselves and others both in private and in our civic spaces. And she asked, what is in its universe of attendant values? And then she came up with things like kindness, which can also be a feel-good kind of a word that gets dismissed easily, but it also happens to accompany or, or she called it a by, be a byproduct of all the world's great virtues. Then she said that compassion cultivates and practices curiosity. Curiosity without assumptions. I think that's kind of scientific, isn't it? Um, She went on to talk about how sometimes compassion is synonymous with empathy um, and added that it can be linked to beauty when it calls us to find the beauty in other people. And in that calling and recognition we see the face of that which is greater. It's in the faces of those around us that we can see the face of God. Now I'm thinking that Surely it happened before that, but in her report, she said in the 60s, 1960s, when we first really encountered genuine diversity, the value that we pulled out to address it was tolerance. And that became part of the fabric of our culture, or at least one of the standards by which we measured things. Uh, But she said, tolerance is not a lived virtue. It's more of a cerebral ascent. And it's too cerebral to animate guts and hearts and behavior when the going gets rough, and the going is pretty rough right now. She said, I think that without perhaps being able to name it, we are collectively experiencing that we've come as far as we can with tolerance as our guiding virtue. Now this kind of creates a dilemma for us, or more specifically for the Unitarian, the historically Unitarian branch of Unitarian Universalism, Because in 1934, what is sometimes called the Unitarian Trinity was coined as freedom, reason, and tolerance by a minister and historian named Earl Morse Wilbur. According to Reverend Allison Waller of the Unitarian Universalist Society of Amherst, Massachusetts, and can you tell something from the name of what the congregation is like? Um, Reverend Waller said, Wilbur came to the conclusion from his research and his experience that at the core of Unitarianism were three principles freedom, reason, and tolerance. Wilbur's use of the word freedom referred to the relatively new ability in, 19, in 1834, 1934, 1934 to think so-called heretical thoughts. as in skepticism about and disbelief of things that the Christian tradition had held unquestionable. The early 1900s um, was truly an exciting new time in which freedom of religious thought rather than bondage to creeds became possible. And secondly, Unitarians proclaimed that we had evolved with the ability to reason, and therefore we should use it. Those are Reverend Wohler's thoughts. But freedom of thought and belief coupled with individual reasoning lead to the need for tolerance, don't they? but freedom is kind of an external public expression of an idea and i and just parenthetically for a whole lot of people in this city in this parish in this state in this country freedom means nothing more than staying out of jail. There is a long history of being very careful when one expresses one's opinion or challenges authority and it has, it still exists in the spirit of the people around us. But that freedom, I think, is the outward expression. And what I would think the inward expression of that freedom evolves to be is openness of spirit, of integrity. Surely there will always be things that should not be tolerated. And even if we move from tolerance to acceptance and learn to begin to embrace those that are different, there are things that are unacceptable. So, tolerance and acceptance both have their limitations, don't they? Compassion, on the other hand, is something that can be boundless. It doesn't rely on our judgments. It's not contingent on circumstance. But it does, I think, most likely require a certain level of personal experience. Because it's from our experiences. It's from our pain. It's from the things that have made our lives difficult that we become capable of developing compassion. And it's not perfect individuals that live it because all of those people were flawed too. Gandhi and Mother Teresa and Dorothy Day and Martin Luther King Jr., all of them were flawed individuals, just like us. Tolerance has all those negative connotations of enduring something that one doesn't really care for. And acceptance is surely a step on the ladder along the way, as Ms. Susan shared earlier in the service. And we, of course, recognize that those things of which it is most difficult for us to be tolerant are our growing edges. They're the things within us that most need attention for some reason. Because when we come to understand them, we move beyond simple tolerance. in 1978 I wrote a song and you will never hear it (laughs) it was particularly amateurish the lyric was lousy I quoted it for Claudia either yesterday or the day before um, and she can testify that I wrote it and that it's lousy Um, I'm not just being hypercritical but in it, there were images that I've found in other places, and have—it's just delighted me to see them be a part of traditions that I was not familiar with before, 1978. And one of them was included in a story that Krista Tippett told in her in her lecture. And um, just to make it short, I think I'll read it. If that's okay. There is, of course, a story behind the key moral longing and commandment of Judaism to repair the world, olam. And I'll never forget hearing the story from Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, who told it to me as her grandfather told it to her. That in the beginning of the creation, something happened and the original light of the universe was shattered into countless pieces. It lodged as shards inside every aspect of creation. And that the, humus, the highest human calling is to look for that light, to point at it when we see it, to gather it up, And in so doing, to repair the world. To receive, to carry, and to give. Now this might sound like a fanciful tale. Some of my fellow journalists might interpret it that way. Rachel Naomi Remen says this is an important and empowering story for our time. Because this story insists... That each and every one of us, frail and flawed as we may be, is inadequate as we may feel, has exactly what's needed to help repair the part of the world that we can touch and that we can see. So when in the course of human events, tolerance is no longer enough, we find a new way. We take on the challenge of developing the tools that will serve us on this journey and help us serve others. In doing that, we serve that which is greater than ourselves. We serve greater understanding. Life is not perfect. As a matter of fact, it can be particularly messy Waiting for self to become perfect will only prevent us from doing now what we can do now. And isn't it liberating to think that we have everything we need to begin to repair the world right now? And moving from our pain and moving into the world, we develop more understanding and more compassion. It's a new day.